Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Freddie Ward is the co-founder and CEO of Wild. After being one of the first hires at HelloFresh and seeing the company scale to over 100 million in revenue, Freddie had caught the startup itch. And towards the end of his time there, Freddie was starting to see the strong demand from consumers for environmentally friendly products. Combining that with the lack of innovation in the personal hygiene and care space, Freddie saw a clear opportunity to create a more sustainable, plastic-free consumer product. So, while on a mission to remove single-use plastic from the bathroom and allow consumers to switch to more sustainable personal care without having to compromise on experience or quality, their flagship product is a natural deodorant stick that comes in the most stylish design you will ever see. And if that's not enough, listen out for Freddie's naked PR stunt and Wild's kinky polar bear sex advert. Yes, you heard that right. Hey, Freddie, how you doing? Uh, good. Thanks, Craig. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Really excited to have you on the show. Um, so first of all, I just want to take you back to kind of like early stages of your career. So you were one of the first hires at HelloFresh. Um, and I believe that was pretty much straight out of university. Like what attracted you to join such an early stage business at that point? Um, yeah, so I, I joined, um, joined HelloFresh in the UK. We were about five, six employees. Um, uh, joined as a kind of sales intern um, to kind of help get um, sales up and up and running off off the ground. Um, I was passionate about food, loved food, um, did a lot of like commercial cooking in my uh, kind of university time. So um, kind of uh, it was one of the career angles. I was like, what try and do something I'm passionate about. So let's find all the startups in London and um see who's doing food and um you know HelloFresh just happened to be one of the companies starting up at at that time I, I didn't think it was a particularly good idea to be honest um I uh just thought it'd be like a, a an interesting learning experience and um you know not not a huge amount to lose as a you know I'd, I'd done a few things I'd actually been working in a drinks company doing a, a bit of sales work and I kind of um I liked the idea of a startup and, um, but it didn't, didn't, it, it wasn't that thought through. It was just like, well, I like food. Uh, I've done a little bit of sales. So here's a role that is food and sales. Let's start there and see what happens. And, and that, that's kind of, kind of where we went from basically. Yeah, makes sense. And turned out it wasn't a half bad idea in the end either. Um, and I think you were there for around six years in total. Like, can you just give like a whistle stop tour of like some of the, I guess, the key highlights in that time? Yeah. So, um, uh, the company, um, the company grew to like, um, hundred million in revenue, um, in the UK by the time I'd left, I was running, yeah, it was just me, um, sort of running marketing and sales when, when I joined and then ran a team of about 25 people, um, uh, by the time, time in my last year, I think my marketing budget in year one was about a hundred thousand pounds and in year six was about 25 million. So, um, it was, a <coughs> it was a pretty crazy journey. Um, and, um, kind of when you look back at it, um, it's sort of, it's kind of weird to, to think about it, but, 
the you know I, I made a huge number of mistakes. Um, I was pretty young, pretty naive, um, and I, I was very lucky to have some great people who I could learn from um, and who gave me a lot of opportunity. Um, and um, yeah, just I, I, I absolutely loved it. It was high pressure, high intensity, competitive market, difficult market. Um, but that's where you learn the most and, and to set me up really well for, um, for my next venture as well. Definitely. And I was going to ask, like, what, at what point did you start to have the idea of like working on something that was more of like a sustainable consumer product? Like, was that something that started to take shape during the HelloFresh days? Or was that something like afterwards that you started to think more and more about? We became a lot more, I became a lot more aware of sustainability as a consumer trend in my last kind of year and a half at, at HelloFresh. I think it went from being something like 0.2% on the cancellation survey to the second biggest reason as to why people were cancelling because of um, sustainability concerns um, in the business. So we'd started to work really hard on it and quite interesting challenges like packaging, innovation, you know, what the consumer thinks, what's actually good for the environment, how you find a kind of combination of, um, of sort of both. Um, so that, that was something that I could see, you know, you could just really see in the data, um, particularly after blue planet launched, um, you know, there's just this massive change. And, and what you could also see is even a business like HelloFresh that was like five years old, pretty agile. It was really, really hard to, to move fast and get some urgency behind it. So my philosophy was like, Hey, there's this huge, change in consumer mindsets quite rightly um and large companies they want to they do want to change but it's just really hard for them and it's going to take them quite a long time and so if more disruptive more agile more risk and taking startups can kind of come in and, and play in that space then um you know they can hopefully accelerate the journey for everyone and um and and um also build some some really exciting businesses um that are kind of purpose driven but also a lot of demand um for their products um and that was kind of combined i suppose with the healthy food movement so the the other kind of theory behind wild is people were beginning to think more about what they're putting in their body um where their ingredients came from what products they would use and for us, it, it kind of made a lot of sense that um, that would start to translate um, to what they're putting on their body as well um, and starting to think about, hey, you know, do we need to be using all these um, products um, that we've kind of been marketed about and, and trained to think we need? Um, and are there more simple kind of natural products that that can do um, equally effective jobs. So, so the, the, those are kind of the two tenants, I suppose, and the two trends that we started to see it at HelloFresh and started to inform the the kind of wild um, strategy. And to explore one of those things you sort of touched on at the end there and, and talking about like the the space you work, like you obviously focus on like sustainable consumer products, but it's specifically within like, you know, kind of bathroom hygiene, like personal hygiene products. Looking at that category today or a few years ago, like forgetting wild for a moment, um, like what are some of the biggest issues when it comes to like, you know, packaging the cases, the containers being used, the ingredients that typically we see in a lot of those types of products? Uh, the way I love to explain it to the team is like 80% of people now use a reusable water bottle. Um, uh, but I think it's probably 
less than 5% uh, are kind of not using single-use plastic in their bathroom every day. Um, so if you, if you take that analogy, you know, there's a huge opportunity to disrupt the bathroom space and make that change that people have already made in, in other parts of their life and just convert it into an area which is there's loads of plastic and there's not much recycling kind of um, going on. Um, so I think that that's kind of what we get really excited about and that that's really core to our mission. And, and I suppose our view on this space is like consumers, uh, they want to change, but they're not going to do it if it requires compromise. So, you know, for example, shower gel to soap, <laughs> you know, that's a logical step for a lot of people, but a lot of people are like, yeah, but I really like shower gel. And so I'm not, I'm not quite ready to just use um, soap. So how do we find the product in between shower gel and soap that has the similar eco credentials to a bar of soap, but similar properties and convenience and the experience of a kind of shower gel um, as an example of, of how we could um, think about those um, sort of problems. And then on, on the ingredients front, I think what you've seen over the last 10 years is natural has come a long way. Um, there's been a lot of pioneering in beauty and um, and personal care and and so the formulations and the ingredients and the um, the infrastructure is is far better than it has been you know um, even a few years ago and so these products are really starting to be able to compete on their um, on their user experience and on their um, on their efficacy which is obviously key in deodorant um, versus um, some of the more um, you know mainstream products that are that are kind of out there and and our view is like if you can use something that has just simple natural ingredients so you know it's really just sort of sheer butter um coconut oil uh baking soda um bit of fragrance and a, and a couple of other things we use but it, it's really stripped back really simple really easy to understand and if that does the job then um you know why why would you buy an antiperspirant or a um, a kind of can and if, if you pick one of those up and try and read any of those ingredients on the back um you, you you're going to need a dictionary to to kind of understand what, what what they are so that's that's how we think about it that's how we think about the space i think the the key to wild is um it's it, it, it is about sustainability but it's trying to make it mainstream um so it's a very fine line we, we think the dark green consumer and um, the kind of eco space is, is a fantastic space. There's some great brands in there. We really admire, um, but there's a reason why it's stagnated for quite a long period of time and, and not being able to reach new consumers. And and where Wild see, sees itself playing is kind of in that growing consumer gap between um, people who don't care about the environment and people who really care about it and that kind of growing middle ground of people who care, but they, they, they don't, they're, they're quite lazy. <laughs> inherently um and they want brands and products that align with their values um so that's that's how we we try to create the wild brand yeah that makes sense and, and on that i was going to say that that seems to be the bigger opportunities in that middle ground that gray area of people that are um like eco-conscious but not going to go out their way not going to spend extra money or or go out yeah take extra steps to go and get certain products so is the key kind of like a mixture of convenience but also i guess cost point like having so it's not so different from from what some of the things I guess they might pick up from a supermarket shelf is, and then sec- and then the final thing that like you talked about was just having a really great brand that has good values that they buy into as well. 
Yeah, I think you've, you've got to be as competitive as possible. And we really try to, um, you know, natural ingredients just cost a lot more. So your, your, um, your cost profile is, is pretty different. And then as a startup, you know, you're making hundreds of units where, um, Unilever's of this world are making millions. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really important to get it as competitive as possible. And for us, um, you know, deodorant you buy once every two, two months. So it's, it's sort of a regular purchase, but, um, you know, the difference between a couple of quid every two months is, is, is something that consumers are willing to, to invest in it. And we've seen a lot of, um, uh, you know, no, consumers of consumer demand has stayed really strong so far through, um, you know, despite quite challenging economic conditions. So I think it's, um, a good sign for the, for the product and the brand. And then, yeah, just building a brand that is really built on social is, is modern and is approachable is, is kind of how we try and set it up. Nice. And probably a good segue into, um, I know you've talked about it a little bit already, Freddie, but can you explain like what Wild is and what you do? Yeah. So <clears throat> Wild's mission is to remove single use plastic and create high performing natural formulations. So, um, our community can switch without compromise to more sustainable personal care solutions. Um, and we launched properly in April, 2020 with a refillable deodorant. So you get like an aluminium case, um, and then you get refills in, uh, they're made of bamboo pulp. So they're hundred percent biodegradable, compostable, um, and, and what we're trying to do is just make, um, yeah, simple switch in your, in your daily routines, um, something easy to, to, to do and, um, create a product that, um, you know, is, is really elevating that experience of kind of, um, deodorant as well in, in your everyday lives. And, um, yeah, so deodorant's our first product, but, um, also have longer term vision to, to launch new products in the future as well. And we're going to definitely talk about that a little bit later on. Um, to begin with, that, I just want to take you a little bit back to the, like, the early days of Wild. And um, I just wondered, like, in terms of like V1 or like the first MVP, like what was the initial hypothesis? How did you go about validating that? And like, what did that really, really early stage kind of product look like? Yeah, it was, it was a disaster, to be honest. Um, we, <laughs> um, I, I had no experience in personal care or in beauty or anything. And, um, you know, I was like, how hard can it be? You know, just go and find natural deodorant. We'll, um, kind of tweak it and sell it and kind of prove that it works. Um, but turns out there's a lot of regulation, um, that I hadn't understood properly. Um, suppliers, uh, it's, it's quite a small niche market. So there are not many suppliers in the UK. Um, and, um, the personal care industry moves at, at a glacial speed. So, you know, tend to ring up a manufacturer and they'll say, get to market in year and a half. Um, and, um, I'd already left HelloFresh and didn't want to sit around for a year and a half waiting to produce a deodorant. So, um, we managed to, to find something, um, but we compromised quite a lot on the product quality and, um, and, um, we uh, kind of whipped up a Shopify site, started selling this original product. What we learned is that there was demand for natural deodorants and, and that we would, um, were not um, able to cater for that demand in terms of creating a product that actually worked for people. Um, so uh, unfortunately, a lot of our family and friends uh, suffered the embarrassment of um, our first product not working very effectively. Um, but we... 
um, as I said, we, we, we knew that there was, there was enough there to, to go and work really hard on creating a better product, bringing to life the kind of vision we had and, and raising a little bit of capital. So that's kind of what we focused on. We got, got over that initial period, um, uh, sort of didn't burn the brand too much, uh, and managed to, to relaunch in April, 2020 with, um, with the product that you see today or, or a version of the product you see today. Um, and luckily, um, much better deodorant, uh, much better product, much better experience. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, and yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a world customer. Absolutely love it. Like I go in the bathroom. It's the thing that always catches my eye and by far the best looking, like <laughs> anything product I've got in my bathroom. Um, on the design front, is that something that, you know, internally you came up with quite a clear concept of like what you want to look like, you know, the kind of metallic look, um, or was that something that you had help with like from an external party? We said we, we worked with a design agency called Marama and we said to them, um, has to be, um, aluminium, the, the case has to be, um, has to feel premium and has to be durable, um, and, um, you know, has to get across our, our kind of values. So that it was, it was a very clear kind of guidance from us, instruction for us. And again, like, you know, it's sort of this sort of chili bottle type brand that we felt could be built in the bathroom. And, um, you know, I think that metallic feel that, that kind of packaging is something that you can really relate to and, and, and you can have a lot of fun with down the line and, um, and, and also we knew that these brands have to be built social first and they have to be built by user-generated content. So the packaging is basically your marketing. So we put all the money we had into designing the packaging and, and, and creating something that, that we feel could be aspirational. And you definitely achieved that. <laughs> um, and you, you touched on it there as well. And I, I feel like the, you know, the best consumer products have like a really strong brand. Um, and you, you did touch on some things there, but I just want to like, what do you see as the core elements to building like a really strong consumer brand? Obviously having like a great product that consumers love the look of, but what else do you think is really important? Yeah. So the, someone described it quite well, like the, the product is your castle and the, the brand is your moat. So you need to build the castle first. Um, and if you don't have a castle, there's no point building a moat. Um, so, so we really focused on getting that product right, making sure that's good, getting the advocacy, getting, you know, the retention, all of those things were super, super important. And then, you know, starting to build the brand around that, it's sort of, um, it all, it's all come relatively naturally, excuse the pun, but, um, you know, Wild, we cho chose the name Wild because we felt like it had a lot of room to have a bit of fun, um, to kind of, um, make that, uh, uh eco space a bit more interesting um to be a bit more playful to be a bit more bold and we've really just hired great young people and and given them a lot of um freedom um to you know we've given our vision and then and then they've gone and brought the brand to life um and in an, in an authentic unforced kind of natural um natural way um and and Charlie and I have been always quite clear on how we wanted it to look and, and feel, but we, you know, in the early days when we were running our channels, it was terrible. Um, so we're very lucky to have, yeah, really talented, um, team of people who 
have have much more successfully now brought those those kind of values to life and the the main things i think are like don't take ourselves too seriously do things that are disruptive and you know even if they don't they're not well received we we prefer to be known than not known even if it's for the the kind of bad things um and um yeah and and, and just just use your community you know use them to to develop and refine and be honest and be transparent and um you know that that's put, put us on a pretty good footing so far agree agree and, and really good advice and and just for clarity when you talk about some of the ideas that go good and some go bad to to bring up the the pr stunt um i think it was maybe for a valentine's day uh I think you and your co-founder dressed well. Actually, didn't mind wearing anything. You were naked wearing, I think, billboards. Was that was that ended up a, as a good one or a bad one? That was probably a success. I mean, I was pretty skeptical of that. Um, again, <laughs> I, I'm I'm probably like more removed from the creative process now. But they just come to me with these ideas, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna dress you up in billboards, and you're gonna be in Trafalgar Square, and you're gonna hand out deodorants." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, well, um, I'm not sure this is that funny, but." we can give it a try, but that worked. And, and I think it just, you know, again, it just, it, it, it kind of shows that, um, as I said, we don't take ourselves too seriously and we just have a bit of fun. Um, you know, we, we also had, a um, you know, polar bear sex scene on YouTube, um, kinky polar bear, um, which, which was quite a big risk, um, quite a big investment. Um, and, when the first idea was first put to me of a um, polar bear doing climate um, climate change foreplay, I was like, um, I think this is a little bit out there. Um, but we we kind of went with it. Um, and in the last week, um, I've probably been to like five or six different events and everyone sat down next to me and go, oh, you're the polar bear guys. Um, so I, I can take no credit because I said, don't do it. This is a terrible idea. It's embarrassing. Um, it's not funny um but um at least people are talking about it and it's kind of um something a bit memorable and it makes people smile a little bit and i I think that's what people want from brands today yeah yeah i I think there's something about being like genuine and playful and and just showing your real side as opposed to this like very like corporate but like personality that some companies seem to have and then they just can't get rid of it um but yeah, I think you've got to take your hats off to the creatives. So I'm definitely not one of those. And, and some things I see are amazing. I haven't seen the polar bear thing though. So I need to have a look at that after this, <laughs> after this recording. Um, but it's about three minutes long. And I went to an event the other day and they played it behind my head on a big TV screen. And I just, it was one of the most cringe moments of my year so far where this sexual polar bear was being played in front of a like, 50 people and they were all looking at me whilst looking at the polar bear whilst trying to figure out how to respond to this really weird um ad so um so yeah thank my co-founder for that if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies from climate change to social impact to green transport, you will be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Amazing. Oh, God, I have to check that out as well. <laughs> um, and then um, I guess going back to, so uh, you were at a point in 2020 where like proper launch, 
really happy with the product, um, quite clear on like brand positioning, how you want the brand to be be viewed. What what was the go to market strategy and, and like how did that go? Like did you did it did it go as planned? Was it did you pick up pace and, and actually go, it went much faster than you were expecting? Um again, we were basically phenomenally lucky. We launched ba- essentially the day um the UK went into lockdown. Um and so everyone went home, was sitting on social media all day and was bored. Um so they were wanting to like buy new products and do interesting things. So um, it turned out to be incredible timing. We were able to grow exceptionally quickly in those first few months um, and really take advantage of, uh, of, as I said, that boom in e-commerce that, that I think nearly every direct consumer business kind of felt. And that, that really gave us the momentum and the, um, the confidence that we could go and do something, you know, do something exciting um and you know ever since really we've we've been able to kind of um grow on that um but yeah i I definitely think we benefited from from covid um and that really helped us like very quickly go from early stage startup to you know to decent sized company and um you know and and as i said that that's total luck (laughs) um obviously we had no idea and we, we we also had no idea how good it was. So we were just like, oh, this is normal. Um, and then things started to wear off and we were like, okay, it's not quite as good as uh, uh, <laughs> as this. But, um, you know, our, our operations, well, I was doing the operations at the time and it, it, it was a bit stressful trying to grow that quickly. So it was probably, probably a good thing it slowed eventually. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and my understanding is that you focus and you still do like mainly DTC business, but obviously you have now launched like into the retail space as well. Um, what, what two questions, like when did you think it was the right time to go into retail? And secondly, like what are the considerations that you take into account when you have got this like premium brand that you're building and, and taking that into yeah, the retail space? We always wanted Wild to be an omni-channel brand. I mean, I think there's something like 90% of personal care products are still bought offline in a weekly shop. So um from day one we were we felt like build it online leverage that into offline um i definitely thought there was a good chance it wouldn't work in supermarkets i was like if the you know the great thing about d2c is there's no context so you're just you're able to tell your story you're able to bring them on the journey you can use ads you can you know can you can hit them once and then they come back a couple of days later you know so you've got a lot of time you've got to you know, and there's a lot of room to explain your purpose and why you're going to be better for them. And whereas in a, in retail, you've got, you know, two, three seconds, you're literally on a, on a, on a shelving row with everything else at one pound. Um, and it's super hard to communicate, you know, what you are, um, why you're better and why people should pay a premium for you. So we were really worried about that, but um yeah so far it seems to have worked um seems to have worked relatively well and and um we've been able to kind of uh leverage some of that education that we've done online and and benefit from that in the offline space as customers kind of experience the brand in different different ways yeah it's such an interesting point and probably something that a lot of people wouldn't even think about is the fact yeah you do go into a supermarket and you have this shelf space and it's really hard to actually get across any kind of like messaging or or purpose or values um so makes makes a lot of sense um 
In terms of your funding, so you raised five million earlier this year. Um, I just wondered, you know, like how was that experience? Like, I, I, yeah, every founder has different experiences. I know it's really hard, but like, how was that raised for you? And like, any good advice you could share to to other founders that are going to go into like a similar raise? Um, so our raising history has been slightly. Um, our first raise was really, really difficult. So we raised half a million for our kind of pre-seed seed round. Um, we thought it would be relatively easy, you know, given our backgrounds and experience. And, um, we felt it was like a quite obvious category. Um, but, um, we didn't manage to get any venture capital money in our first round. Um, we got rejected probably by like hundred investors. Um, a lot of people said, um, our market's too small. They're like, this will never be a big enough business. The market's too small. You need to launch different products. Um, you know, they, they said the brand wasn't strong enough. Um, they said it wouldn't work in D to C because the value was too low. So it's just loads of, um, I suppose that the main learning from those initial experiences are it's really hard when you're going through that to like, not quest like to not just question your strategy and be like, well, maybe we've got it wrong or maybe we're naive and all these investors, they see everything and they must, they must know. Um, but you know, a lot of them turned out to be, to be wrong. And, and, um, that is a nice feeling, but it also, you know, I think for people raising it, so like stick to what you believe in and stick to what your, um, your plan is. And, and often like, it's weird, but actually it's a good thing. If, if not, if everyone thinks it's an opportunity, then lots of people are going to be doing it and lots of people are going to get funded. And then you're going to be in a crowded space where, um, where there's not enough room to play. And you see that with things like 10 minute grocery, for example, suddenly it became the zeitgeist and everyone was investing and it became brutally competitive and then everyone went bust. <laughs> um, so I look back on it and go really painful. And, you know, there are moments where I was like really down and just like, Oh, are we ever going to be able to get this off the ground? Um, but it was actually a really, um, it was a good thing because, it was unobvious to to everyone basically that this could be big enough a business to to be exciting for for investors um and that was where we had the opportunity to to kind of prove people wrong and grow since then um and jamjar who are now our lead investor rejected us on our you know when when we first pitched to them they said no um and um so they didn't they they didn't participate in our first round but we then came back with some great numbers and having executed well and, and, you know, then people change their mind and they can see, you know, we, we, I think quite rarely we were able to exceed the plans we laid out, um, in our investment decks and, um, you know, that that's worked pretty well and, and we continued to do that. And, and again, the temptation in investor decks is to like create crazy business plans and things that you never believe you're going to do, but, I think in for us, what's been really good is every time we tried to be relatively realistic and be like, look, this is where we, we see the business. And then we've been able to come back a year later and go, oh, turns out we, we should have been a bit more optimistic and um, we've actually surpassed this. And, and um, I think the, our investors appreciate that and that's helped us raise, raise that capital. And then, then our latest round was was relatively straightforward because we just did it with our internal investors and again it was like look 
you know us, we know you. Um, we're we're on the same road journey. We've built good trust. Um, let's uh, you know we need some capital. Let let's try and do it internally. Save ourselves time. Come up with a sensible number. Don't you know? So everyone feels happy, and then then get back to executing the business. And and I could have gone out and got a higher multiple and more money and played off loads of investors. But I I really think the more time you can spend doing the business and less time doing funding, it's, it, it, you know, really helps you in the long term. Yeah. Really, really good, honest advice. Um, and in terms of like, I guess what that money's allowed you to do, but also like the future of wild, um, you, you mentioned like when you gave the overview of wild, um, expanding outside of, um, like deodorants, is that the big focus in terms of where you see the business growing or is it like different channels or moving outside of like the UK market? Um, it's growing pretty nicely as just a deodorant brand at the moment. So I think one of the big problems um, of companies like Wild is there's so many shiny new things you can you can do, new products, new countries, new channels. Um, and, you know, the entrepreneur in you wants to chase every opportunity and conquer the world. Um, but I think what has been really good slightly unintentionally so there have been some reasons why we failed at stuff that hasn't come or hasn't worked but it, it's meant that we've just stayed focused on deodorant we, we're on um you know we're still making that product better we're still updating the case updating the formulations and that focus has really helped us scale so it just means we've had less stock less complexity and that that makes it much easier for us to to kind of grow um so i think focus do one thing really well um, at a time is, is kind of what we'll continue to do. I think for us, yeah, international expansion is definitely sort of probably top of the agenda. And then, um, you know, new products um, potentially at some point next year, if, um, depending on, on, on how things go. But, um, you know, again, like we, it's all predicated on the core being good and, and doing a good job of that. And then we can graduate. But if the core's, not going well then we probably delay those things or pull them back and refocus and just make sure we do do what we're really good at well and then then think about the future yeah no i'm completely with you like that's i'd rather do one thing exceptionally well and be known for that than try and do too much too soon and, and you just dilute everything can kind of lose all of that like reputation and goodwill um to talk to you a little bit about your personal journey as a, as a founder, um, first question I had was um, for you to describe your like leadership style. Um, probably relatively annoying for my um, direct reports. Um, I, uh, I I love like high energy. I love ideas. I love kind of just trying to make things happen. Um, but I'm a little bit unstructured. Um, you know, and a little bit, um, can be a little bit chaotic. And so it takes a while to get used to, to kind of working with me, I suppose. And at HelloFresh, they were like, you, you're really not well suited to like thousand person organization. It's just, you're just sort of a bit chaotic and people, people find that very stressful working, working for you. Um, I, I, I've matured a bit and, and I kind of understand that now and I try and tone it down where possible, but I really still believe like these companies, it's like the longer you can, it can be day one and you can have that energy and you can think, 
think round problems and challenge the team and get them excited about what you're doing. So that's what we try and do. And then, and then just like trust that I, 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 I fortunately have hired people who are really good at the things that I'm really bad at. Um, and so, um, they complement my skill set really well. I trust them implicitly that they're kind of way better at their jobs than I would be. Um, and so it's kind of more like for now, it's sort of, we set the high level goals. We kind of align whenever we need to. Um, and I'm there to support or go through problems, but ultimately, um, try and empower them as much as possible and, and, and kind of give them the belief that they can, they can do it and then, and that they can grow. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how I see it. And, and, and probably, you know, I made a huge number of people mistakes over my six years at HelloFresh and, um, those are probably the most valuable learnings I've brought to, to wild and, um, and, and kind of try and apply, um, as we grow. Got it. And, uh, in terms of, I guess, um, your experience in a high growth company like HelloFresh, where you're still, you know, you're, you're one of the first hires, you're one of the senior people there. What's the difference between that experience, but then when you're actually like the founder of a high growth business, like what, what do you see as the biggest distinction or difference between the two? I suppose it's ultimate accountability, but I felt very, very accountable at HelloFresh. Um, I was given a lot of responsibility. I was very young. I took everything to heart, like hiring people, firing people, hitting targets, missing targets. It was like probably not a very healthy um, way of life in terms of my emotions were just very raw and and very like living every moment and and my mood would be determined on what was like just a hundred percent how work was going and what we were doing and um you know and and i was i i i basically had the you know i felt like an owner i felt passionate i, I just really wanted the best for the business so um the change hasn't been kind of massive i think i find um very lucky that myself and my co-founder are just, we're very aligned on what we're trying to do. We're very clear on the strategy of how we're going to do it. So there's no, there's not very much confrontation. There's not a huge amount of, um, arguments. There's just like a, what are we going to try next? What are we, what are we going to do? And, and ultimately I don't have to justify that to, you know, I, I, I align with our board and make sure they're happy and I'm not doing anything reckless, but I don't have to bring other people on that, on that kind of journey. And, I love that autonomy and, and, and I'm also now just like a bit more balanced. I, I realize that startups are like, there are highs and lows and often very high highs and very, very lows, low lows in like very quick succession and, and, you know, balance and, um, you know, just not getting too worried about it. Not, not, not getting too, uh, down with your team or two up with your team trying to trying to keep a level head and and kind of steer the ship um is is how i how i do it. also food like online food is the hardest thing i think you can do it's like the most brutal um business model you've got stuff live in your supply chain 24 hours um a day um you're you know, it's really, it's ruthless. Your weekends, evenings, you've got to be on the ball all the time. Things are going wrong all the time. Big, you know, 
food going off, people getting wrong stuff. Like it's it's like high high stakes. So it's just like a real level of intensity at, at, at those recipe box businesses. That means when you come into something like personal care, where you know ultimately it's it's a deodorant, it, it doesn't go off. You know you have more time. It, it, it is just a bit simpler, and it and, and it means that um, you know a lot of the the things are easier to navigate. And so I, I'm kind of glad I started in such a hard category that this category now feels feels a bit easier. Yeah, good way to look at it, and and the all really good points. The one that kind of resonated with me and Strackord was the, the like balance one and trying to manage those highs and lows um, in a, in a more balanced way. Like I run a much smaller business, I'm sure I have one percent of the pressures that you probably have to deal with. Um, but you know, just knowing as a as the leader, like what to show and when and to what extent, I, th- I think is a is a key thing to learn. Um, you obviously like for any founder journey, there's, there's highs and there's lows. And we just talked there about kind of like the balance and what you can show to people, but like internally, Freddie, like when there are the really tough times or just generally, like how do you manage your own mental health? Like what works for you? What, what do you do? Um, running, like I, I, I find running, um, very, very therapeutic and I try and try and do that as much as possible. And then I've got two children now. So it's like, I'm a dad and you know ultimately family is more important than than business and um you know putting your energy into that and looking after them and um you know it gives you good perspective um so i think it's just trying to um trying to get out and then you know as co-founders charlie and i we 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 talk very honestly we we share a lot you know most of our one-to-ones we we you know we just go for a long walk and we just chat through the problems and that 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 sort of really helps and then you know building a good network of people i can call and be like i messed up this or i'm struggling with this or um you know and they're there just to to give you an ear and give you some guidance and um i think in my younger career i was so obsessed with like making the right decisions and now i'm just like it's more important just to make a decision rather than it being right or wrong and owning that decision. Um, and, um, you know, as long as you're at peace with that and you do your best, that's, that's all you can, all you can do. Yeah. That's a really good like reflection to have. Um, I think as long as you make a decision for the right reasons with all the data you have to hand, then there's nothing more you can expect from yourself. And, And like you said, you just have to then back it and own it. Um, final section is just talking a bit about kind of building a, a for good business. Um, and I want to ask you like what, in your opinion, makes wild, like a great place to work. Like what, what makes it a place that people love to come and work at wild? Uh-huh. Well, we're, we're premising there that people actually find that it's a great place to work. <laughs> um, look, it, it evolves so quickly. I was saying to the leadership team that we're in the hardest moment now where we get, we're like, going from 30 to 50 people and you know to begin with it's like a family and you hire a couple of nice you know good people and they set the tone and everyone kind of knows what's going on and they feel connected and it's growing so it's exciting and that culture stuff is probably like just not doing too much trying to keep things liberal try and keep things trust-based try and keep things non-hierarchical um and that just gets much much harder when you get yeah probably 30 40 people you've got to like really communicate clearly um 
you've got to hire well and then you've got to um you know make sure people realize what they're kind of contributing to um and that they they have fun um i think it's super hard to do that now in a hybrid environment um i'm like a big believer of being in the office as much as possible i think it builds culture i think it builds knowledge um so just trying to navigate that i think like every other business um and be a bit bit firmer and 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 get people coming in and making connections and i try and tell my team like all the useful people i have in my network come from great relationships i've made with people not in my team or not in my direct reports but you know that i go for a beer with or have a go for a sandwich with or you know whatever and and i really want that for my team and i think that's where working from home just really lets people down, particularly in a startup environment. So yeah, big believer in getting people in, getting them aligned, communicating really clearly that those are the kind of things I, I try and foster and, and then, um, you know, having fun, not taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah, makes sense. And on, on the point of like hiring great people, um, I know it's not as black and white as this and you'll probably have a mixture of both, but if you had to choose between kind of like, yeah, I, I see founders that really, really advocate the like, you know, hire really good experienced people that are like a level up from what you need right now um, to like propel the business forward versus the ones that are more like, actually, we want to hire people with huge potential, maybe don't have tons of experience, but give them the opportunity to grow with us. Um, do you have a preference into like which, which side of the fence do you fall on? Yeah. So obviously if you look at my career, I I've been on the second side where, you know, I was just given opportunity for being young and hungry. And so I probably lean a lot more to that, um, side. I, I think, um, you're like, if you're doing something innovative, it's, it's really new. And, and so sometimes learned behaviors can be detrimental because people have preconceptions about what that is and what they need to bring in. And I've seen, you know, like we've had some like over my career like some really senior people and they've got incredible cvs but they just they haven't been able to adapt or deliver for 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 the culture or for what we we kind of need so i think you need a bit of both and um there's no right way to to do it but you you can't buy your way to success i I don't think um like I like the fact that we're like a lower league football team that's trying to scout, you know, potential that other people can't see their potential. And and so they're like undervalued in the market and like we bring them in and, you know, we train them up and that, you know, they go on to be like a premier league, you know, either we get to the premier league or they go and work for, you know, someone in, in, in that kind of analogy. And so that, that's kind of what I like. And, and I really, you know, I, I, if people are good and they're stepping up, then really want to give them that opportunity to come on the journey and, 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 and do what's right. I think at different stages though, you do need different skills. You definitely need expertise from, from outside. And, um, we need to get that balance right as we, as we go through the next phase of growth. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And, um, in terms of like, if someone is to interview with wild uh, interview with yourself, like what is it that really impresses you or like wows you with a person? Passion, like, um, you know, that, 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 that they really want the job, that they've done their research, they've put the time in. Um, ambitious, they, they like, they really 
you know, you can just almost feel that hunger. They like, they want to like kick on in their career or they want to like take things to the next level. And they feel like wild is the, like the, the perfect opportunity to do that. And then, you know, probably self-awareness, they're aware of like what they're good at, what they're not good at and how that, you know, how that's going to play with the organization and, and, and how that's going to, um, you know, how, how they help us go and build a, a, a really big business. So it's kind of probably more the softer people skills and then obviously just making sure the fundamental, um, things we need for that role. Um, and I'll often, you know, I think go and talk to people who, who, who I think are really good in that role and just be like, what, what do we need? Particularly in areas I'm not so familiar with what, what does good look like? What should I be looking for? And then try and apply that to, to our hiring processes. Yeah, really, really good advice. Um, and then, you know, anyone listening that wants to follow the wild journey, um, or yourself, Freddie, like where, where, where are you or the company like most active on socials? Um, uh, I think I've got three followers on Twitter, uh, so I wouldn't bother going there. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, um, even less on Instagram. So no, I, th- I think look, we are wild.com is our website. You can follow all our socials at, um, wild refill um across various things um and then yeah if, you, if there's any advice or things you want or um feel free to drop me a message on linkedin and um try and help people where i can or connect them with people who i think can can help yeah spot on well uh, as a massive fan of wild like keep up the good work and uh, thanks for chatting with me today freddie no really appreciate it and thanks for your kind words it means a lot to us and um yeah great to chat thanks for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed it please subscribe share this episode and leave us a review we're just getting started out so it would mean a lot to us this episode was brought to you by craig turner produced by jabril al and sponsored by jobs for good until next time